Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you. Always fun to join you for a weekly show, and this week is no exception. And as usual, I'm going to give you a little preview of what's coming up later on in the show. For our inbox, we have a listener whose friend, uh, her husband, passed away, and she's wondering, like, the application of the kinsman redeemer from Scripture, because it looks like his brother has stepped in, is helping the family with various things, and it got her to thinking, yeah, what kind of Old Testament mandates or laws do we apply today, and what don't we? So um, that's kind of a theological question that we're going to have our friend, Pastor Mark Bates, weigh in on. And then for our culture segment... Another Mark, Dr. Mark Regneris, is back with us. He's a sociology professor at the University of Texas at Austin. He's also a researcher. And we're going to talk about the recent overturn of Roe v. Wade and has it had or will it have an effect on the dating market? He has some pretty interesting insights there. Okay, well, here we are for our roundtable, and we're going to have a conversation about revisiting our childhood in healthy ways. And so um, for some of us, maybe that's a little bit further back than others, but I think all of us tend to look back a little bit with rose-colored glasses on our childhoods. And so I have got Bailey, John, and Katie here. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hey, Lisa. All right. Good to have you. So John and I were talking a little bit about this the other day um, because we thought, you know, yeah, there's a certain amount of, I feel like especially once people get post-college and you feel like you're out of that, like where your life has just been programmed your whole life and all of it. All of a sudden, you're like having to make decisions, having to pay bills, having to do stuff. All of a sudden, we just get like super old in our heads about like, remember when, remember. And I know it's it's funny because on social, I've seen it on Reels and elsewhere. Um, a lot of places do these like flashbacks to certain decades, you know, and then all of a sudden it's these products from when you were a kid and stuff. And I'm always like, oh, remember that? That was so great. Or that toy from when I was a kid. So that's kind of fun. What let's think about what are some of the favorite things that you remember from childhood and, you know, what causes you to start like what triggers like thinking about them or reminiscing or whatever? Definitely thinking about my hometown, which is in oh. South Carolina. Um, I came from an all-boy family, so we shared the same room together, and we were kind of rough at times just because <laughs> we loved to play rough. We had a trampoline, which was given to us by mm. a family member, and thank God it had a net. So <laughs> I love just reminiscing on some of those times and times when I get together with my dad as well because we had this thing that we would do with me and my brothers and my father, we would occasionally go out. We'd usually stop by a convenience store and get sodas, and we'd call it Guys Night, hmm. um, which Mom probably really appreciated because it gave her some breathing room yeah. <laughs> since she homeschooled us. But um, those are some things that I look back on and think, wow, that was really some special stuff. Yeah, that's good. And the opposite of John, I grew up with all girls, <laughs> my <laughs> okay. poor dad. So my cousin lived with us um, a lot of summers growing up. So I basically had four sisters hmm. and we rode horses all the time. We lived on a farm. So we rode horses. We were always finding baby animals, playing hide and go seek. <laughs> um, yeah, jumping on the trampoline, playing Barbies. We would get coloring books and color and watch Disney movies. We just had so much fun and always love reminiscing on all of that together. It was a blast. 
Yeah. I grew up in a family of both girls and boys, so nice mix there. Good balance. <laughs> yes, yeah. good balance. Um, I would say um, I was always way closer with the boys. So we would go outside, play in the mud all the time. I vividly remember like making like mud pies together and throwing them at each other. My mom got really mad because I was wearing nice clothes. <laughs> She's like, why would you do that? Um, and also like playing outside. We loved playing outside together. We loved watching movies together. Um, we loved coloring. Board games was a big thing in my house. We played Monopoly and the game would last days and days and days. But it was so much fun. Hmm. It's so funny because like all of y'all are younger than I am, but none of you really mentioned a lot of technology or mm -hmm. any. I mean, <laughs> no one here is like wistful for the days of XYZ video games or hanging out on smartphones or doing YouTube videos or whatever, which I think is very telling because... Um, I, I think it kind of speaks to where we probably are going in this conversation a little bit and the importance of, you know, the things that matter. I think for me, one thing that it very much stands out is the feeling that whether or not this was true, I feel like this was true, things just felt a little safer back then. Mm -hmm. Like I remember walking to school and it wasn't a big deal. I remember, I mean, obviously, there was kind of those, you know, PSAs on TV about stranger danger. And, you know, you have to be careful and McGruff the crime dog and all this. <laughs> but, um, but you never felt like it was constantly some crazy, you know, like where now parents are driving their kids everywhere, in, to even like a door to door scenario, because the, the fear, you know, of public safety is so big. And that's a sadness and a loss, mm -hmm. I think, for a lot of us. Um, yeah, that's hard. Okay, so how much in light of that and in, in what you're thinking about there, how much do you struggle with wanting to kind of go back and the, the longing of, you know, how it was or what you remember, the memories, the feeling like days were so much longer and mm -hmm. stuff was so much more fun and so much more easy. How, like, what what causes that? How do you think about that in that sense of nostalgia? I think it's happened for me a lot recently because, you know, now I live here by myself and, you know, I used to be with my sisters all the time. Like even in college, my sister lived across the parking lot from me. So I think it's just that nostalgia of not of like missing being with them all the time. And even my cousin, when she would live with us, like having her there all the time. Now we see her every couple of years. So I think it's when I think back on those times of how we were just all together all the time. And yeah, we didn't have anything to do except play and have fun. It's when I miss it the most. Yeah. John, you actually recently saw a movie that I want you to talk about that really had, Robin. had oh an gosh. impact on you. Yeah, it did because it's such a simple movie. But the thing that really impacted me is I grew up watching Winnie the Pooh and other cartoon characters. But one of the things that's so touching about that film, and I'll try not to give too much of it away there's one scene where he finds a balloon in a busy market and he finds so much joy in just this little balloon. Mm. And I thought, wow, that really kind of explains the heart of a child in a really neat way because kids can find joy in just the simplest things. Mm -hmm. And it, when I saw that, it just really reminded me, man, how much have I been taking the time to just enjoy the simple gifts even if it's walking into the grocery store and smelling the flowers, even if it is going to a restaurant and tasting new food that I haven't tried, when was the last time I did that? And so it really kind of caused me to 
pause and say, maybe I should do more of that. Yeah. It seems like we were much more in the moment. Like there wasn't this, like now we're always wishing away the present in the sense of like, oh, I can't wait for the weekend or I can't wait for my vacation or I can't, because it's all about, you know, I mean, I remember as a kid, I didn't worry about my health or getting sunburned or money budgets, you know, whatever. (laughs) In fact, (laughs) I was just thinking the way I thought of it is this was a couple of months ago now, but I was riding with someone and noticed that like they were a little bit of a crazy driver and I was just like tense the whole time and thinking to myself how we would do road trips and I would like when I was small, small, would sometimes just curl up like on the floor of the back seat, you know, and sleep. And then as I got older, then I would try to like lay flat across the back seat and, you know, stretch your seatbelt over. So technically you still had your seatbelt on, (laughs) but you could still kind of cop it out. But um, just thinking of like, yeah, I didn't have to be forward thinking or worry about stuff. And so Mm -hmm. that your whole like a section of your day can be consumed by a balloon because that's all you have to worry about. So that's cool. I don't know. What about the nostalgia for you two? Oh, Disney Plus has definitely helped this a lot. Yeah. Uh, just because, like, <laughs> I remember when we when it first came out, I remember being like, oh, my gosh, all these movies that I used to watch when I was a kid. And, like, I was scrolling through, and I was like, oh, I totally forgot that movie existed. And, like, I turned it on. I think it was, like, Cinderella 3, which is, like, really specific. <laughs> hmm. But I turned it on, and I still remembered almost everything word for word. Like, I remember, like, it just, like, all came, like, flooding mm-hmm. back. And so whenever I watch something or, like, see something from, like, my childhood, like a TV show or a movie, it just, like, brings all these, like, really good memories back because, you know, my family used to watch a lot of movies together or TV or things like that. And so oh, mm-hmm. it just yeah. brings so many memories back. Well, that's a good springboard um, because obviously as uh, Bailey and John uh, shared and then now you, Katie, with things that you kind of revisit and things you like to go back to, what are some more of those things? Like what are the, um, you know, specifically some of the things that make you feel like a kid again? And do you kind of go after them and do they end up disappointing you or (laughs) can you pretty much reclaim childhood with a few fun things? What does that look like? Yeah, well, swimming was a huge part of my childhood because all my sisters and I swim. So for me, whenever I go back to a swim meet, it like transports me back, Mm. like watching my sister swim. And it is kind of sad, like watching the races and being like, oh, I'm not racing. Um, But I'm actually planning on joining a master's swim team, which is for people 18 and over. So maybe that is chasing that childhood um, piece. Um, But that's one thing. And um, yeah, just going back to my hometown just brings Mm. back all these memories, you know, because you drive by places and you're like, oh, remember when we did this or when we went here? And just certain movies, like Katie said, Mm. Scooby-Doo, Barbie, Heartland. All the Barbie Um, movies. (laughs) Yes. Um, Whenever those play, it reminds me of family movie nights we would have too. It's it's fun. Yeah, that's great. Definitely staying in touch with my two younger brothers. Um, technology goes a very long way in being able to just communicate with each other. And because we have things like Apple Music and Spotify, we'll sometimes even send each other songs and say, hey, here's what I'm listening to. And it may be a song that we really liked 10, 15 years ago. But sometimes music, I think, has a way of getting better with time. So um, me and my brother Jared will do this a lot. We'll send each other songs just in the middle of the day. And usually we will even include a lot of things like fire emojis. It's like, Mm. dude, have you listened to this song yet? And so (laughs) we have a great time doing that, but that has a way of kind of transporting me back to the times when 
we were just listening to music on CD players. We weren't yeah. listening on streaming services because they didn't exist yet. So mm-hmm. that's really a fun way to kind of keep in touch with my brothers now and also um, just remembering what it was like back then. Mm, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was telling uh, these guys earlier that um, the other day I made pancakes for dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got like that was like one of my favorite breakfast foods as a kid. And I, I, me and my roommate just looked at each other and I was just like, you know what? we should just make pancakes like that just sounds so good right now and it just kind of I don't know it brought me back that was like one of my favorite meals so and like last night I made tacos for dinner which was like one of my favorite meals as a kid my mom's from Costa Rica so she taught me how to make homemade tortillas Mm. so I made homemade tortillas and like made it exactly like how she would have made it when I was younger and so just little things like that and like I said watching the same movies and tv shows I just I go back to them and I'm just like transported back to when I was like eight or nine years old Mm mm-hmm yeah, I was thinking uh, there were a couple things that came to mind for me. One is anything that relates to like um, camp, like going, like oh, I went yeah. to camp as a kid, but then we also did like during the summer, there would be just like church, like Sunday evenings at a nearby camp where they'd have the service at the camp. And even just certain elements of like things that I might smell will remind me of that. And another thing I associate with camp is grape soda. So sometimes I will just like, I never go to the store and buy grape soda because, hello, now I'm obligatorily worried about my health. But if I'm ever by, like, if I'm ever outside or in any kind of camp context and there's like a vending machine or a canteen or snack shack that has grape soda, yeah, that's going to have to be purchased just for the sake of of nostalgia. So that's kind of a... A good example of that. The other one is uh, that I thought, because it just came up the other day, was a friend of mine, their kid had checked out a book from the library, and I went all crazy because I remembered it from when I was a kid. And I'm like, let me tell you about this book, which, of course, (laughs) their kid did not even care about my opinion of the book. But I was just all, like, caught up in it and like, that book is so great. So that was kind of a fun a fun memory to have in the middle of that. But okay, well, what I mean, does it look like do you do you feel like there are any things I should say, that, you know, again, we we look back on our childhoods, and we think, oh, they're so great. I mean, are are there any ways that you've kind of gone back to your childhood or thought of things and been disappointed? Like in any kind of, uh, I mean, for me, I was just talking to my sister yesterday about wanting to return to the place that I grew up, which I actually haven't been to in a while, but I'm a little fearful that it won't be as I remember it, you know? So there's an element of like, oh, do I want to be disappointed? Or like the houses will have gotten older and it'll seem smaller probably. So I don't know. What about you guys? Yeah. Well, for me, I actually went back to my hometown like two and a half years ago. Mm. It's like Christmas of 2020. And I went back for two weeks ish and I just was I was determined I was going to go back to every single place like the house where I grew up and the church that I went to and the restaurants that I loved as a kid and for the most part it was actually really it was really nice to be back but I remember being like so disappointed because the church that I grew up in like it was a church that my dad planted and I grew up there for 14 years of my life which was a majority of my life and uh (laughs) it was closed down like the people who took it over it was just gone like it was just an empty building and it just it was so sad to see like I had made so many good memories there and so many friends Mm -hmm. and my school was run out of that church too Mm -hmm. that I went to and like I peeked into one of the windows and I could still see like 
you know, like someone had written something on the board and it was something that was written my last day of my senior year on the board and it was still up. Oh my word. And that was just crushing. <laughs> That's like a movie in the Yeah, movie. literally. Yeah, it was, it was like so <laughs> crushing. And I was, I remember being so disappointed that, yeah. you know, this huge part of my childhood just kind of died. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah, kind of along the same vein. So when I was a swimmer, the Cortez team was the Cortez Leopard Sharks. And it was just like, such an epic name and we had so, <laughs> we had such a fun team like we In all a became, landlocked state. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we became okay. like um such a big family like i got brothers you know from that team that i'd never i never had brothers so it was fun and we were up at 5 a.m every morning swimming and just formed these amazing bonds but the team doesn't exist anymore mm. um when i graduated it just kind of dissolved and a new team started and so that's really sad like going to swim meets and that team doesn't even exist anymore. So that Mm -hmm. is really hard sometimes. Which is crazy because you're talking about it, Bailey, like you're someone's grandma, like going (laughs) back 50 years later. I mean, the fact that things can change so fast. fast. I mean, that's where it is like, it's sad because you're like, man, I was just there. Like, this was just my experience. Mm -hmm. Like 50 kids swimming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's wild. I don't know. I was very blessed to have a great childhood in that a lot of the moments when I was living in them were very rich. Mm. And I think now when I really look back on them, I see just how rich some of those times were. If I had to do it over again, there isn't a lot I would change, even the mistakes I made just because of the lessons that God taught me even through some of those. But I would probably just stop and enjoy the moment more. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think so much about the future. Even as a middle school, high school kid, I was constantly thinking about the future. And I look back (laughs) on some of the relationships I had then that I don't really have now, except through occasionally seeing their posts on social media. And um, I would just sit down and enjoy conversations more. And I feel like college helped me to do that a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really is just... It's about taking the season of life God has given you and enjoying the relationships you have here and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So kind of in that vein, John, as we finish up here, I'd love to get your ideas like for that person who's just discouraged about, you know, being a 20 something or maybe a 30 something and adulting and just feeling like, yeah, it's just not the way it used to be. What would be your ideas for recapturing fun, even as an adult or being that person who doesn't totally live in the past? I, again, to uh, to Katie's story, I just had a, or saw a story the other day on social media about my favorite amusement park growing up uh, is shutting down. It's being bought out and made into a big development and stuff. And I'm like, and there goes more memories. So maybe I do need to go back to where I grew up and in order to recapture that before it's bulldozed. But um, what would be, you know, what would be your encouragement to folks who are just like, well, I don't want to be just sad all the time or, or wishing for what was, what does that look like for you to be hopeful in that? I feel like I'm kind of working through that right now because, you know, students are starting back at Liberty. Mm. (laughs) And so my sister and I were texting about that today, like, wow, we really don't miss the classes. But, you know, we really miss the relationships and our friends and just living so close to so many people our age and everything like that. But one thing I found that helps me when I'm kind of dwelling on the past is just to make time for fun here and now like watch a movie that you loved like call your family or call your friends like take a day off um I sometimes work on Saturday and Sunday writing um just take a day off and relax like do something fun like you can have fun now it may look different than it did when you were a kid but you can still do it Mm mm-hmm 
Two things that have really helped me. You brought up Christopher Robin earlier. I'd mm-hmm. encourage everybody to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. <laughs> Fantastic film. Yes. It sounds like a big tearjerker, so John. I don't know. Oh, my god. It's worth it, though. It, it's <laughs> okay. so awesome. Okay. Another idea that I wrote down was sometimes if you just go out on a walk and maybe you aren't at the age where you have kids yet, maybe you just go to a playground and watch the children play. Hmm. Because it's amazing to see how kids just live life with such a carefree spirit. They're constantly dreaming. I think there's something really special about God's heart that comes out in the heart of a child. Mm-hmm. And and they just have a dependence on people and on God and really just enjoying the world that I think a lot of adults need to learn from, myself included. And um, maybe just go to a playground and just sit and observe. It's amazing what you'll come away with and how rich life can become when you just try to see life through a child's eyes again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I would say find ways to act like a child. Like not like, you know, be annoying (laughs) and be like, are we there yet? Don't do that. But um, I would say find opportunities for those fun things that you did when you were a kid like uh, i remember on vacation when i was younger we would go mini golfing so every once in a while i want to get a group together and go mini golfing Mm -hmm. or like one of the ways that my sister and i bonded is she would take me to the movies and so i find opportunities to go to the movies or like i said like cook a meal that you loved when you were a kid like make a 99 cent craft mac and cheese like (laughs) like do something like find opportunities to do that because you can take you know, 20 minutes out of your day to watch an old TV, an episode of an old TV show that you loved when you were a kid. So Mm -hmm. I think that really can help you, I don't know, recapture that spirit and give you a little more joy in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I was actually watching a movie uh, the other day with a friend of mine and she pulls out one of those fun dips, like the (gasps) Kool-Aid with the sticks. And I'm like, hello, 1987. What is going on here? (laughs) So that was just really weird, like to think of that and do. But as you were talking, uh, as all of you were, were saying this, two things that came to mind for me, um, because I had another friend talk to me about this in terms of like, um, health stuff, but to one thing adults never do is take their shoes off and walk on the grass. Like, so to do that, especially like in the summer, like so many adults don't think to do that. Like when you're in a park and you just go barefoot in the grass and, you know, like a lot of people will say it's called grounding now and it's supposed to be, you know, have a lot of health benefits, but don't think about the health benefits. (laughs) Just do it for fun. And then find a playground and just swing for a while. I think that's another fun yes. thing to do that's is just so uh, one of those old school playgrounds or park playgrounds oh, or whatever. I did whatever that the other just, day and it was so nice. Yeah, I think that's a lot of a lot of fun to be able to do. And of course, um, grab a friend and encourage one another and maybe reminisce about each other's childhoods too and what are some of the fun things and then come up with a list and start reclaiming some of these with people. So good thoughts, you guys. This is fun. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks, Lisa. California driving had to get out. Distance got me wondering where you are right now. One-way conversations got me worn down. Pouring out my heart with you would speak a sound. Without your love There's no point in even waking up 
segment we are welcoming back a friend of boundless dr mark rignaris hey mark good to have you lisa always good to see you <laughs> it's always fun i actually like your i didn't get to tell you this um before we started taping but i like the specs maybe it's been a while since i've seen you but i feel like those all oh, the glasses frames. yeah okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh they are new well it's a long story the okay. short story is they're my old glasses i was swimming in lake michigan last week with my new glasses and yeah. they just weren't oh. there after I got hit by a wave. So I'm back to the old glasses, which are new to you. Yeah. Well, most people would advise against swimming in Lake Michigan with glasses on. Yeah. But- <laughs> uh, I didn't think it was going to be quite as wavy as it turned out to be. Okay. I was always going to go back in, and then they're gone. Okay. Well, that is, that is unfortunate. Um, but... <laughs> Not specifically why we have you here today. Instead, we're going to capitalize on your expertise. Uh, You were speaking here at Boundless and Focus on the Family this morning, um, specifically around, we've talked some about post- Row post, you know, the the decision uh, that was overturned uh, just a couple months ago and what that means. I mean, we've said here on the show how, like, literally, who would have thought even a year ago, that we would be living in the United States at a time where that actually happened. And the fact that the leak happened and then people just freaked out and didn't even believe that this was actually true. And uh, yet here we are. But wildly, kind of, you're like, well, okay, let's talk about the implications of that on the family and specifically on the dating culture and the moving to you know, date and mate, which we love to talk about with you when you come here. Um, Those of you who don't know, though many of you do, if you've been listening for any amount of time, uh, Mark is a professor of sociology at the University of Texas at Austin and a bunch of other things, but specifically an expert researcher on issues surrounding marriage, the family, sexuality, all of that. Uh, Author of a number of books, most of which we have talked to him about here on the show, including Cheap Sex and the Future of Christian Marriage, which you'll hear a little bit more about later, too. But, um, Mark, we want to jump in on a couple themes. When you were talking this morning, and this is something we wanted to capitalize on, you mentioned um, kind of as a a precursor to you jumping into the, the... um, the substance of your talk, kind of three things about abortion that, you know, the Dobbs case overturned Roe, um, but still a few important things to remember about abortion in today's culture. And, you know, you said first, there are other types of abortion. So it's not like, hey, this is no longer a thing. Um, second, 
there are states, even regions of the country, that um, abortion remains legal. And in, in fact, some of them will probably expand their access to abortion. And then third, and you said this is probably even a bigger deal, is that really abortion is typically a secondary rather than a primary form of birth control. And so so all that to say, you were like, da 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 okay, but now. Um, so a couple of the things that I want to land on, you know, in our limited... Uh, limited time in the sense of this is one of the things that you mentioned about specifically is the idea of basically, you know, abortion being or the assumption that abortion was empowering to women. Now, what would you say specifically now the fact that or where are you seeing the freak out happening? Like what? <laughs> clearly some are concerned, some yeah. are less concerned. But yeah. when you if you were had to address that issue in particular of like, because, yeah, we, you talked about feminism yeah. Yeah. supposed to be empowering abortion. We have our rights. We have our bodies. So many celebrities are on that yeah. track empowering. Yeah. Now, what are they saying? Right. So the freak out in terms of women who feel like that they're biggest strength and the the most destructive aspect of Roe would be to weaken their power kind of in the the wider social and economic sphere because uh you know it childbearing and rearing is a vulnerable place right it's a, it's it's a huge undertaking and so in the sort of wider economic market as equivalent and equal to men as possible is sort of the, the, the optimal feminist strategy in some ways. Overturning Roe takes that away for some people, right? Not all people, since it's a disparate in its effects. What it does to sort of on the, the mating market is it makes people a little more unequal, women and men. Now, that can be good for the mating market in the sense of like anything that kind of highlights the differences between men and women typically is good for matching in the mating market, right? Mm -hmm. Because women are particularly vulnerable when they are just like men, right? But this is kind of what the feminist project has been is to make, make us as, as exactly like men as possible. So in some areas of the country, this might it might affect the mating market in the sense that women will have what they will consider an economic vulnerability, but which, you know, that's not necessarily a, a problem on the mating market, right? Because mm -hmm. men and women trade on their weaknesses and their strengths in the average experience on, on the mating market, or especially when you think about marrying, right? Mm -hmm. Most of your listeners will be in marriage-minded. Now, if you're not concerned about marrying and you're on the mating market, then, you know, weaknesses are, it matters less. So at the same time, you haven't heard much, as much from sort of feminists as I think I might have expected. Hmm. You also have the development of the question around what is a woman, which kind of dovetails with the transgender rising movement. Mm -hmm. So if women are now newly vulnerable because of the end of Roe, and we yet we don't really agree on who they are and what makes them distinctive. Mm -hmm. 
It's a strange place to be, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, it is not that shocking to me observing that kind of uh, the glass ceiling busting feminists are not the people who really got worked up about the end of Roe as much as some other constituencies. In which case, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, the LGBTQ movement, right? Why? Because when you looked at the protests going on from the beginning, like who was at the Supreme Court that day? What do we see the flags flying and the signs saying you could pick up that there was a heavier than expected presence of LGBT? Why? Right. So then I started thinking, like, well, what's going on with this? Right. And then I'm I'm looking around the literature around uh, the movement itself and what it's comprised of, et cetera. And I notice that in analyses of the general social survey in the United States over the last 15 to 20 years, LGBT has comprised less about behavior and more about political and social identity, right? Which is kind of odd in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. When, and that's partly because we don't talk about homosexuality so much anymore. We talk about LGBTQ mm-hmm. because, and that's a categorical difference. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about homosexuality, then we are expecting like, oh, that must entail not just an identity, but a behavior, LGBTQ, different. It's a combination of types. And the social science suggests that same-sex sexual behavior or homosexual behavior characterizes LGBTQ less than it used to. Decidedly less than it used to. Ah, okay. So then you think about, well, why would would lesbians have a a stake in Roe v. Wade if if pregnancy was never going to be at risk for them? No, because in the wider movement, there are plenty of women and men who display heterosexual behavior as a part of this movement, especially women, right? For whom pregnancy is a live concern or option, right? Not just the bisexuals, although that's certainly the case. There are plenty of people who don't display bisexual behavior, but still identify with the movement and when we take the, apart this movement, we think about like what motivates or what, how do they understand the human person, human body, relationships, you come to the realization that there's a great deal of overlap with uh, mentalities about transgender, right? My body is my own. I can do with it what I please because the self is distinctive from the body, right? We're not body-soul unities. We are fundamentally selves who are occupying a body, right? That's the the mentality from transgender. So uh, the more I dug into sort of, well, how do people understand their bodies, right? Same thing with the sort of pro-choice movement. Like, I have the right to do with my body as I please, okay? It just doesn't take a, a rocket scientist or a social scientist to figure out that the mentalities about the body are similar from the pro-choice movement, transgender movement, bisexual, 
all this stuff, right? They really occupy some fairly unified intellectual and arguably theological space. So I wasn't surprised after I started, I saw it on TV and then I'm like, well, what's up with that? Mm -hmm. And you start looking around at some of the data. Ah, I should have anticipated this. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I, I was even thinking this as you were saying it earlier, the idea of, you know, the bisexual component being larger than a lot of people assume in the LGBT construct. There's so many, it's just become in vogue kind of, especially for celebrities mm -hmm. to be all about that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, let me, let me try both and then make my decision or maybe I'll be fluid, you know, and it doesn't matter. And it seems to me that this is something that is easily talked about and ultimately, you know, this, this whole concept of empowerment and autonomy, especially among people, this is why it's so big with, in, with celebrities, people of means, because to go about and be your own person and do your own thing without, you know, historically where we knew a, a man and a woman would marry, start a family, you know, share resources, be, it was about really soldiering through life together mm -hmm. and you either did it well or you did it poorly yeah, or you right. had your ups and downs and whatever and so i feel like we're being sold kind of this bill of goods of like you're going to be able to chart your own course and everyone you know the opposite gender is dispensable and and certainly not which it kind of is almost i think the lesson for us in the church is this idea of not buying into this lie of autonomy being the highest good, this idea of like independence. I need to get to the point where, a la J-Lo, I can choose to marry four times or five times. And if it doesn't work out in right. three and a half weeks, yeah. then I yeah. then I move on. Christians just can't, not only biblically can we not do right. that, practically, right. it doesn't make a lot of right. sense. It doesn't practically make sense. Although with J-Lo as an example... What's interesting is still the impulse to marry, yeah. even if it's oh, fourth or fifth Oh, she's super time, hopeful right? about it. Because yeah. socially, the country's moving away from that model yeah. pretty rapidly. The number of people who have married three times has plummeted, right? Yeah. Usually now it's like twice and out, right? Mm -hmm. So then you, you see rising uh, numbers of older folks who are cohabiting mm -hmm. because perhaps it's because, you know, separate bank accounts and things like this and... Mm -hmm. But part of that is just a, well, you know, I no longer believe this institution works, but I'm happy to live with you. Right. So, yeah, the autonomy thing is, it's not its not distinctively American, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's aided by our individualist yeah. kind of uh, DNA. Well, you talk so much about how, specifically with the LGBT construct, I mean, it is, what's the statistic around Gen Z now? I mean, it uh, it's, it's, how many identify? Morning, roughly 20% of Gen Z or close to 20% identify okay. somewhere in that. It depends. If you, if you yeah. make them identify which aspect, they mm -hmm. may have trouble. Yeah. But if you float a survey question that's sort of, do you identify with the LGBT movement, mm -hmm. boy, you're going to get a lot of people who say yes. Yeah. So with that, I mean, with so many options out there, and of course, we hope aspirationally and, you know, theologically, that a lot of the listeners to this show are not buying into the cultural lie. But still, um, with all of that being up for grabs, what I mean, this is kind of a weird question to ask. But I mean, hello, grandma, um, will we ever, do you think, return to people, and I mean, not just one-offs here and there in the church, but 
culturally or even within the church as a whole, returning to linking sex to children. I mean, I feel like that is <laughs> such a leap. I mean, because even, you know, again, the whole concept of I mean, where I'm going with this right. is even in the church, we are preaching some elements of autonomy of even when it comes down to serving right. the Lord, like right. let's serve the Lord. And to do that, maybe wait to have kids or get your education or be great or get a seminary degree or or whatever. And it's almost like it's being devalued across the board. So I don't think we'll ever separate it totally, in part because you, you still look at most reproduction is done the good old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. What I talked about before, sort of the concept of mentality has taken hold, where we kind of decide when we are going to sort of relink sex and reproduction. Oh, yeah. Um, my terms, my timeline. Right. So that is sort of a, a more probably permanent part of the landscape than the the notion that sex and reproduction are you know permanently separable because most people still marry have children the share of children that are produced in artificial ways is still small i mean several years ago it was like around 1% mm-hmm. and maybe around 2 2.5% now perhaps mm-hmm. or with assistance but uh, I don't anticipate that being surging uh, in terms of growth. I mean, you know, the Silicon Valley will sort of underwrite employees <laughs> mm-hmm. banking their eggs and things like that. But which is to me is sort of, you know, you want to put women in a vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. You freak them out about, you know, uh, having to bank their eggs. And like that, that's just that's cruelty, frankly, if you ask me. But it's masqueraded as sort of you know glass ceiling busting. So mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever completely separate those two. But I also have no confidence that the sort of conscious of mentality is going to go anywhere fast because yeah. we really think we're the masters of our own timelines. Yeah. And lots of people, increasing numbers of people, realize that wow, that that's not true. Yeah. So what, Mark, is your recommendation to the Christian dater in having these kind of conversations with someone that they might want to get serious with? Because that's not the most sexy topic, to have coffee and be like, let's talk about, um, you know, empowerment (laughs) and abortion and the LGBT. I think it's a great topic. (laughs) I know. You're already married, so you you don't have to worry about people shutting you down. Back to something I talked about earlier, power differentials, right? So this really shapes how people do dating, especially first date, second date, third dates kind of thing. Like what, you know, do I feel vulnerable? Do I feel weak? Do I feel like, you know, I'm, I have no power in this nascent union that may or may not be happening. So in that sense, you know, you'll be apt to not bring up significant things early on, lest you overwhelm a person, right? Mm-hmm. And think, hey, I just want to keep this casual for a little bit. <laughs> right. At the same time, I totally think you should talk about serious things when seriousness seems to be a possibility around the corner. Now, it doesn't mean you'll get through all those serious things quickly. I'm thinking about a friend of mine who has been dating someone about a year uh she's in her mid to upper 30s and he's 49 that conversation about serious things with the 49 year old has taken a goodly long time mm-hmm. <laughs> uh in part because well you know he was not in a hurry before so mm-hmm. 
why is there urgency yet? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but it has been developmental and helpful to to him, and so she's kept this conversation going. I don't know what the result will be, mm-hmm. but uh, she didn't wait long before bringing in some significant things as sort of ground rules. Yeah, and I think that that helps, right? So. Um, women in particular tend, you know, tend to think of themselves as vulnerable in the the marriage market, and I there are reasons for that. Mm-hmm. However, you you don't want to beat around the bush for long with somebody before you tell them like who you are and what you think and mm-hmm. what's compromisable and what's uh, what's flexible and what's not. Mm-hmm. So, the vulnerability that many women feel leads them to consistently postpone certain kinds of conversations. But uh, there's a, you know, I don't think they have to come out in conversation number one, date number one, yeah. not necessarily on date number two. Yeah, There is kind of this cultural mentality about like something about significant about if you get past a third date, this might continue, right? So yeah. I do think, you know, a third date is probably a pretty good time to sort of level with somebody. Yeah, uh, okay. So kind of then as we as we think this through of possibilities for the future for couples who want to form families, I mean, speaking as a like I think of, for example, um, it used to be so assumptive. I mean, let's go back to the the pioneer days where, uh, you know, most of the women were married. You had kids. You joined together with the other women in your community to milk one another's cows and bake bread and help one another out and stuff. Well, now it's almost like women who want to have families, you know, maybe even stay at home with their kids up to a certain age or whatever. It's like you got to look for that needle in a haystack to find these like-minded people. So as a dad who's married to a mom and you guys have kids and you're walking out family in today's culture, what's your encouragement to the person out there to say, like, is this even, I mean, I'm being told I can have it all. I now have my PhD. I now have a high, I'm in Silicon Valley, Mark, and I'm working this job and everyone tells me that I can do that, yet I feel like I want this. What's your encouragement to a younger generation moving forward that wants to honor God and still exist in the culture that we see today? Yeah. I do think that having it all is is difficult, probably impossible, and won't really make you happy in the for the over the long run. So, I, and that's true of everybody. But we have to sort of give up some visions of what we might want to accomplish, or postpone those visions. Saying some of these things are more shorter time horizon. I think, you know, I'm a professor, but if I said, you know, I want to be a full professor someday, well, that stuff doesn't get accomplished except over time and with and so some things are more urgent in the 20s than you know becoming a full professor mm-hmm. which won't happen probably till you're 40 mm-hmm. okay but you're building towards that but you know the project of building a career takes time you have time typically speaking right mm-hmm. think about the workforce uh work experience you're going to have if you get into it at 20 22 23 and you you retire at well, most people retire at 70, probably 72 here pretty soon with Social Security. That's a 50-year career on the market, okay? You have time to build skills and to impress people, etc. cetera. But, um, you know, family is a little more time-sensitive. 
uh, a lot more time sensitive. You know, even for men, you know, uh, this 49-year-old who may or may not marry this friend of mine, he'll be a dad maybe at 50, 51. Like, I'm 51. You know, I'm kind of glad I don't have small children right now, mm-hmm. right? It could be possible. But, uh, you know, there are kinds of periods of time for these things. But, you know, you go back to the pioneer days, right? women's fertility career, so to speak, was uh, would last potentially 20 years, right? Um, so uh, there are particular time periods for things. And so uh, I don't think people can have it all. It doesn't mean you have to choose what you're going to have. It just means that different things will happen in different timelines in your life. Mm -hmm. Certain things are more for the present than others. We tend to think that, oh, terminal higher education is urgent, absolutely critical, lucrative in its payout, and has to be done by age 26. Mm Or twenty-seven, mm-hmm. and I just think that's that's not, true. not smart, not <laughs> true, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably want to do it by the time you're forty, but mm-hmm. uh, you have time for these things. Yeah, some of it has to do with Americans just don't want to suffer, <laughs> and the, they don't want to give up things as they get older. Mm-hmm. Even though aging and the aging body will show you that that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. But when you're 26, 27, you want to be kind of, ah, I'm in a career, Uh, I get married, I have a house, all these sorts of things, like the accoutrements of uh, a successful young adulthood. Mm -hmm. I just think that's not necessarily helpful. And frankly, in, you know, right now in the real estate market, it's going to be difficult to do that, right? Mm -hmm. We're in Colorado Springs, Prices are soaring. Austin, Denver. I mean, it's crazy, right? My 23-year-old who would love nothing more than to get a footprint on a small house in Austin, that's just not possible and not possible for years, Mm -hmm. Mm. which leads me to think, okay, well, I turn my attention to like, how can we help solve this? Because homeownership is fairly elemental to building a family. People like to do this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm already thinking about like, well, pushing back against the zoning that says you can't build a casita in your backyard in the suburbs of Austin, right? Mm -hmm. Because how can your kid get a footprint on a house uh, if they're paying $1,500, $2,000 a month in rent on a one-and-a-half, two-bedroom apartment? So I think it's time to be creative in Mm -hmm. some ways, right? Realizing that uh, we have creative capacities here, right? Mm -hmm. I think about like, well, when, should I sell my house to my kid someday when he has mm-hmm. two kids at mm-hmm. a discount? So mm-hmm. he like, yeah, I think I should think about that, mm-hmm. right? Um, some communities of faith see marriage and independence as contiguous and sort of like, okay, great. We love your new spouse. God bless. Now we don't have to take care of you. Whereas other communities of faith kind of think, you know what? When you're serious about marrying and you find somebody like, now we'll start sort of getting serious about supporting your household, mm-hmm. right? That's a different kind of mentality, yeah. right? And with the uh, inflation that's sort of out of control, housing prices that are insane, I think the time is ripe to think about how we help our young adult children. Yeah. 
Well, so many things to think about. And again, I think it is a great example of how generations have to work together so that the older generations aren't Mm -hmm. being super assumptive about like, this is easy. This is how I did it. This is how I, you know, but yet encouraging and helping along the younger adult generations and and vice versa in, in creating and maintaining those family units. So, oh. Okay, so much more that we could say, but we're out of time. Um, We have been talking to Dr. Mark Regneris, and uh, we want to make available to you, so heads up, I mentioned his book, The Future of Christian Marriage. If you go to boundless.org, you can search for 761, that's this week's episode, and uh, we want to make his book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So just go there, you'll click on the book cover, Um, you can give a gift, whatever you can afford, whatever that looks like for you, and we will send his book as a thank you to you so you can check it out. So, Mark, thanks again for being part of the conversation. Thanks, Lisa. Here we are opening up our inbox, as we often do, answering one of your questions. And uh, this week, we have back our friend, Pastor Mark Bates. Mark, welcome. Thank you, Lisa. Good to be here. (laughs) Good to have you. All right. Um, This week's question is really an interesting one, which is kind of like specific, but I thought like maybe there are some good principles we can pull out of this um, as far as like biblical parameters for marriage and caring for community and all that kind of stuff. So we'll talk it through a little bit. Our listener says, a woman I know who's almost 40 recently lost her Christian husband. She has two children, and now the late husband's brother is helping take over some of the responsibilities his brother used to have. He's even volunteering at his late brother's church. My question is, in the Old Testament, there's the principle of a kinsman redeemer for when a husband passed away, meaning that the next brother in line would marry the older brother's wife. While it doesn't appear that this current situation will result in marriage, I'm wondering if this principle from the Old Testament is still applicable for today's society or not. <laughs> <laughs> Who is going to care for these women? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> so I guess you're going to give the you're going to give the real answer here, Mark. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, Lisa, for always lobbying me these softballs. <laughs> I know. I, I appreciate. I thought it. you could also throw in something about Satan too, <laughs> right. since, we'll work, since we'll I've had you talk this. about him in the past. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there yes. we go. So, you know, you have to remember the, the context when these laws were given. So the, the, the Old Testament time, a woman had no way of providing for herself on her own. And so if she did not have a kinsman redeemer, and of course, biggest example of this is the book of Ruth. 
And with Naomi, that, that uh, I mean, starvation was a real possibility. And so their only hope for this. So, so this was a, a justice principle of providing for and caring for people. Now, the question is, does that law apply so, to us? So, for example, if, uh, uh, you know, say I had a brother and uh, I don't, but if I did and he died, <laughs> would I have to marry his wife? My wife might not like that. But, but let's uh, just assume that all those things. Well, the question probably comes up, well, why don't we do that today? And, and part of that, we have to look at the law, and I'll try and keep this brief, in, in the the Old Testament context. So that law is found in Leviticus, uh, and, and it's uh, as we see the laws of God there, you can divide the laws of God up into three types. There's the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the, uh, the civil law. And uh, some people think these distinctions are artificial, yet I think if you look closely at the book of Leviticus, or in Exodus and Deuteronomy, you can find that they're really not. For example, the moral law, we would say, applies to all people of all time. And the reason we would say that uh, is the moral law would still apply today, is in the Old Testament, God judges all the other nations based on their keeping of the moral law. If they oppress the poor, if they you know sacrifice to idols, he, he judges them on that. God never judges a nation because they mix their cotton and their wool. Never happens. <laughs> and so, so we see that God has a standard for judging all of humanity. The other thing that we see is the Ten Commandments are distinct from the other commandments. Ten Commandments uh, given by God Himself. All the other laws were mediated through Moses. Ten Commandments, God wrote them with this finger. On the tablets, we don't see that with the other other law, again, mediated through Moses. Uh, the uh, other civil laws, uh, we see a, a phrase that's repeated over and over again. Uh, it talks about, in the land which I am giving to them. And so what this tells us is that these laws, like this Levitical marriage law, uh, like the, the wool, the cotton of the ceremonial laws and different things, were given to Israel as a theocracy, uh, as God is their king. But they were not necessarily commandments for how the other nations were to work. Now, the one thing it would say, though, that those laws showed principles of justice. So here's the principle here, is that that we are to be caring for our widows and our orphans. And that's what we see repeated in the book of James. So family does have responsibility to care for their family members. And it sounds like, uh, in this particular instance, this man's doing a fantastic job of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great thoughts. I, I love that how you brought that to the principle of it of, you know, don't, uh, what is it, strain the gnat and swallow <laughs> right, the camel right, yeah. of like, okay, yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't want to get to a place of like weirdness here. But it's just great to be like, yeah, this is a great opportunity for family to step in mm-hmm. for church family to step in to realize that, yeah, there are some good opportunities here. And we all should be looking around and figuring out who can we serve and who can we support right. and how can we be the church in that context. So awesome. Well, thanks so much yeah. for weighing in on that. Okay, folks, um, that is it for this week's show. And sometimes here, I also ask you to hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show because you know, probably, you know, it's interesting. I get so many, um, or recently I've had so many of you write to me and say that you just started listening. And so the way that a lot of people start listening is by seeing the reviews of the show. And so if you can hop over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, let folks know why you like The Boundless Show, and then that prompts them to maybe give it a chance in the future. And so if you'd be willing to do that, we would super appreciate it over here at Boundless. Uh, Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.
from the Kendrick Brothers, creators of War Room and Fireproof, comes Life Mark. When David Colton's birth mother unexpectedly reaches out, it leads to a staggering truth from his past. Always wondered if my biological parents think about me. She loved you, and I'm so glad that she made the choice that she did. Inspired by a true story, Life Mark. Starring Kirk Cameron and Alex Kendrick. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Only in theaters beginning September 9th. Theater and ticket information is available at lifemarkmovie.com.